Hey guys, I'm Chris. Hey everybody, I'm Robert. And we're the Film Flamers. And it's time for us to bring you another Top 10 episode. This one is very, very close to Robert's heart. Yes. So we talked about Black Christmas in our deep dive episode this month, and we're going to do Top 10 Slashers. Like I said in that episode, I have a lot of subgenres that I like a lot. My top three are like zombies, holiday horror, and anthologies, but a very close fourth is slashers. And after trying to craft this top ten list, I'm starting to think that maybe slashers is higher on my list than like zombies or other things. Because it was really hard for me to make a top ten favorite slashers. I just, it was almost impossible. Well, you did it, and I'm proud of you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And this top 10 is going to be a little bit different than our normal ones because I'm going to bring something a little bit different because if I was going to bring my favorite top 10 slashers, it'd be like, you know, me having a conversation with like Neil deGrasse Tyson over top 10 favorite like <laughs> physics concepts or something. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to sit here and try and, and go tit for tat or shit for chat <laughs> with... Uh, with Robert's top ten, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to is I'm going to actually start us off with uh, my own little top ten, but kind of bring us through history of slashers through the decades, right? Starting with like the 30s and going all the way up until this decade. I really like that idea. I'm, I'm interested to hear what you have to, to to bring to the table with this. Well, without further ado, should we get started? Yeah, lay it on me. So for my number ten. I kind of wanted to just to see like how far back can we go? And one of the, the most clear examples, um, clearest early examples, I should say, is 13 Women from 1932. Now, this was a film that is considered a pre-code psychological thriller film. So this is before, mm. you know, our ratings and, you know, um, kind of the standards of for morality or whatever in cinema. So they they did a lot of interesting things like this film is actually about sorority sisters who are at all girls college uh, called St. Albans. And there's a, a girl in their group who is essentially wants revenge because they all kind of looked down their nose at her for her like mixed race heritage. And so it ends up like her manipulating, stalking and manipulating each one of these people into dying in various ways. And so they just go down one by one, including one named Hazel that is played by Peg uh, Entwistle. And it's her only movie role, uh, but she actually ends up being manipulated into a lesbian relationship. What? And yeah. And this is <clears throat> 1932. And it's, it's, super interesting anyway that she eventually dies in the film but uh it's this actress's only role but because of the i don't know if it's because of the backlash for the role or whatever else but she literally after this movie came out jumped off the hollywood sign to her death at age of 24 are you fucking kidding me i am so intrigued by this movie now yes and it's there it's you know it's out there i'm gonna put it in the show notes so that everyone can go see it but it's just super interesting because you know there's there's things that that the killer is basically doing in this film that's later used like in the 80s and and stuff in those in the golden age of slashes like crossing out the yearbook pictures and in prom night Mm -hmm. and, and graduation day and stuff so that's all in this movie so it's just interesting to see where some of these things might have come from you know evolutionarily wise right I have never even heard of this movie before. 
And I wonder if some of our listeners have. I mean, I would love to hear if y'all have seen this movie. I'm definitely have to check it out for sure. Yeah. So my next movie is called The Leopard Man from 1943, 11 years later. And so this is one of the first American films to even attempt at even remotely realistically a portraying a serial killer, even though the term hadn't even been invented yet. Right. Right. And so it's kind of a murder mystery, psychological thriller, but essentially the murder is like, um, there's an escaped animal. It almost kind of, kind of reminds me of like bringing up baby okay. with like Catherine Hepburn, but it's like the <laughs> leopards going out and actually killing people and they're maimed and torn apart. And it turns out that it's, it wasn't the animal at all. It died almost immediately upon escaping. It's, the serial killer that's ripping people apart and killing them to make it look like it is. That's yeah. And so it, it, it goes through that whole process. It's, it's a really interesting movie. It's, it's one of the first that's actually, uh, if you're, if you're kind of digging into the, the halls of history for slashers, it does keep coming up. So I would definitely check this one out if you can, but yeah, like so far all the way back to the thirties and forties, it's uh, super interesting to see these ties that far back. Yeah, I haven't seen this one either. I've heard of it, though, but I have, I have not watched this one. So we're moving on into the 50s with 1953's House of Wax. Yes. With Vincent Price. And so here you're going to start seeing the movies that you're more familiar with that you've heard of. If you haven't seen the various remakes of House of Wax, you know, I would definitely go back and see the original from 1953 with Vincent Price. It's definitely worth a watch. You can see that there's there's uh, kind of some beginnings for that, that slasher kind of... Uh, filmmaking style here right have you you've seen it right oh yeah oh, the original yeah. yeah and the remake i mean and I, isn't there there's more than one re- remake right um i mean it's possible i've only seen the more recent one i think from like 2005 or so the one has paris hilton in it you know yeah i've seen that one yeah and um i mean the originals is far superior yeah so i'm moving on and i had a lot to pick you know there's lots of picks from here on out going into the 60s and 70s and 80s. Uh, but I'm starting with 1960s Psycho. The other option for 1960 for me was Peeping Tom, mm-hmm. which, as we discussed in our Black Christmas episode, was one of the first, if not the first, point-of-view camera for the killer in Peeping Tom. But, of course, Psycho you know, has all that influence from Giallo and uh, also, of course, Hitchcock's you know magnum opus horror film in a way, at least the one that's stood the test of time more than a lot of his other films. You can't beat Psycho, but it's it is definitely a, a very important milestone in the creation and evolution of slashers. Agreed. So, going into the seventies, uh, and in, in order to create a top ten, I actually included two movies from the seventies, and those are Black Christmas from nineteen seventy four and Halloween from nineteen seventy eight. To me, Black Christmas is perfectly in the middle of my list. It kind of ties the past with the future. It is the bridge movie. It's the bridge milestone that makes you know everything kind of happen into this cohesive thing that becomes the slasher film of the later 70s and 80s. And if you haven't listened to our episode on Black Christmas, definitely check that out because we do go into depth of, how, of why this is the case. I, I like your place of Black Christmas on this list as far as history goes and Halloween because there's so much contention between these two movies but why did you choose halloween as the other 70s movie because it is actually it's it's really seen in pop culture as the definitive slasher film you know a lot of people say it's the first real slasher as far as like 
I would say in the context of the golden age of slashers in the se- in the late 70s and 80s. Yeah. The thing that kind of kicked off. Uh, and I think a lot of that is just due to its success more than its originality, right? Because people saw that you can make this tiny, tiny budget student film almost and make millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden it seemed so accessible, right? And it's like every, I feel like every decade or two has that example of this guerrilla style filmmaking. I'm thinking like um, Sex, Lies, and Videotape launched a career. You know, Blair Witch Project launched, you know, a whole thing. Yeah. So it's uh, it's really interesting because I think, I think Halloween was one of those films. And it really took what Black Christmas did and kind of solidified and simplified it into a formula that was just tried and true and used again and riffed off of for the next decade at least. It certainly has its place in history, and um, you know, I, I almost always forget that it was a '70s movie, right? Just because the '80s ones that came after it were very similar to Halloween. Mm-hmm. So, what's up for the '80s then? I have got one pick for the '80s, and for me, I had to choose a Nightmare on Elm Street from 1984. Always an excellent choice. So, out of all the '80s, which is like the golden age of slasher, right? Yeah. So, so why why that one? Well, you know, I've, I've had to forget, not forget, I'm sorry, that's a really bad word to use. <laughs> I had to kind of, you know, I had to choose among all these greats, like for the 70s, I also had the Texas Chainsaw Massacre to choose from, you know. I have Cruising from 1980, which is not seen widely as a slasher, but really it kind of is. Yeah. Yeah, so I also had to choose from Friday the 13th, but of course... To me personally, I enjoy, this is where my personal opinion comes in, is I enjoy A Nightmare on Elm Street a lot more because it kind of brought it forward, Yeah, right? They're trying to add a new element to it to kind of grow on this this formula. And so they added the supernatural element, and I think it worked spectacularly. Obviously, it kicked off a huge franchise, right? And one of our favorites here in the Film Flamers nooks. Oh, yeah. I mean, A Nightmare on Elm Street is by far my favorite film franchise i mean let's not forget too the 80s were all about franchises when all the big franchises were sort of born yeah and they're still even like loved and still being made today sometimes these franchises are just being added on to 30 years after the fact and we get to our to a point where we're in the 90s and that franchise you know that formula even kind of building on top of them with like supernatural elements or doing it slightly different like just rearranging this the archetypes and things like that in different ways just started to get stale and so we kind of had a drought a little bit until i would argue 1996's scream i would agree and how are they going to resurrect this uh, the subgenre, but to become meta and self-referential, and it was genius. It was just a, such a, a great way to do it, and uh, it's also the only place where I have the same director, two decades apart. You know, on the on the list. That's right. It's very interesting. You know, Wes Craven, and uh, it was just done so well, and it just blew everyone away in the theater. And I still go back to it today and think this was so smart how this was written. You know, this is so smart how it was done, and uh, there's a reason why it's a legend, and, and, you know, it's an icon in the genre. And let's not forget that Wes Craven, I mean, aside from A Night on Elm Street and Scream, also had movies like Last House on the Left and The Hills Have Eyes, which can be considered, you know, either as slashers or like pseudo-slashers in their own right. I mean, this man really 
had a grasp on this subgenre of horror, and I think he made like just amazing films based on the concept of just mass murder or whatever, yeah. you know. So. <laughs> Yeah, and we saw, started seeing that when when Scream did that, and people just wanted, hey, you know, we can continue being really super inventive and kind of mutate the subgenre into different ways, right? And so we started seeing things like in the year 2000, Final Destination, which makes kind of death itself the slasher, mm-hmm. which was very inventive at the time, and you can still go back to that film and appreciate it for its originality. I mean, I completely agree. In fact, I, I would love for us to do a deep dive episode on Final Destination, if not like the first two. The thing is that I like I like that franchise quite a bit as well. I think mm-hmm. that there's so much like invention going on in the Final Destination franchise that we could even do like a whole like sub series just talking about those movies. Oh yeah, because those writers had set themselves up with this this situation where they literally have to problem solve to make these deaths happen. Yep. So it's uh, it's really fun to watch, uh, you know, because a lot of time was spent on these scripts versus some of the other straightforward, you know, uh, slashers where it's like, okay, there's only so many ways you're going to die with this edged weapon. You know, there's all kinds of different ways you can die in Final Destination to the point where it reaches comedy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, for better or worse. It's super enjoyable, though. Right. And then we get even more... Uh, mutation based on you see these foundation that's getting just built upon built upon uh, and I wanted to include this decade's uh, entry into the slasher hall of fame with 2014's it follows oh my god such a good movie yes so to me this is a slasher yeah uh, yeah I mean I would I would agree I would it it certainly wouldn't exist without the, the slasher subgenre and everything that had come before it I certainly agree with that statement for sure yeah and it and I love starting with you know our discussion about Black Christmas and maybe ending it with a discussion about it follows because it's really great bookends to a discussion about feminism right for sure. Yeah, because you've got Black Christmas where you know we're talking about abortion and feminism and everything else, and there's absolutely no moral judgment, and there is absolutely no correlation between who's going to die and how you know proactive their sex lives are or whatever, <laughs> right? Versus It Follows completely turns it on its head and says, the only way you're going to survive is if you go and have sex, essentially. <laughs> if you, you have know? sex again... You will live. <laughs> yeah. So it's really it. interesting. And it's almost like I love the, those kind of some of those throwaway lines, which I guess aren't a throwaway line, but uh, where it's like, oh, well, it's going to be easy for you to, to go do that, to survive. You're a girl. Uh, yeah. That's, you know, it's a kind of a commentary on society right there. Really, really easy. And uh, no, I, I think that's, I think it follows was an amazing statement. Um, a collection of statements really if you watch it closely across the board but i i definitely i definitely view it as a classic in the neo slasher subgenre and i agree and i mean i think that's an interesting way to sort of like end your your history lesson right because <clears throat> i think that slasher movies make a a very big statement socially I think that, I mean, like, the reason that these movies were made may have just been for purely profit, but I think that we've learned a lot about horror movies and horror audiences based upon slasher movies, because let's face it, I mean, like, if you go to somebody and say, oh, I like horror movies, 
In this day and age, the first thing they're going to think of is something like a slasher. In the 50s, it may have been something like, you know, Invaders from Mars or something like that, right? So, I mean, things change. But today, I think that a lot of people associate horror movies with very, very... Um, violent very bloody movies sometimes they'll say well they're like they're, they're misogynist or like you know terrible about women and lots of women murder and whatnot but let's not forget that i mean during all these polls in the 80s like almost half or even over half sometimes of the audience were women watching yeah. these things going and buying tickets and well, watching them what do nine out of ten of these movies that i just talked about have in common they're basically all about women a powerful female character yes at, at the crux of it right and so yeah i think that there's a lot to learn from from slasher movies and i mean i think you really hit it on the head if you're you're picking like you know the best slasher movies from you know the, the, the throughout the decades well guys if you enjoyed that little history lesson let us know what you thought of it and maybe we'll continue to do something like that in the future i certainly enjoyed it and i'm actually kind of like happy to to tell you that some of the movies that you've listed have made my top 10 i mean and i they may not be as high or low as you would think but I mean, I'm super glad that you brought a lot of them up, and um, I think you'll be happy to hear some of my choices. Okay. Do you have some honorable mentions? Yeah. So, um, like I said before, it was really hard for me to make this top 10. In fact, there were so many iterations of this. We knew this was coming for quite a bit of time, and I have been trying to craft this list it has been made and rearranged and rearranged, and I have watched and rewatched and rewatched a couple movies just to make sure I was putting them at the right spot on my list. And um, so this is my my, my final thing. I'm, I'm done. I'm happy with it. But there were a couple movies that didn't make the list that I kind of wanted to, so I'm just going to go ahead and say them right now. One of them was Maniac. And hmm. um, The original? No. I mean, I, I like the original by way of Lustig quite a bit, but I, I, I really, really enjoy the remake that stars Elijah Wood that came out like maybe like five years or so ago. I thought it was fantastic, a fantastic slasher movie. And it's sort of like in the vein of both like Golden Age and a neo slasher. And I mean, if you haven't seen it, go give it a watch. I mean, no, no shade to the original. It's also really good. I just happen to like this one quite a bit better. And I also wanted to mention Slumber Party Massacre just because I like that movie a lot. And it's directed by a woman. And I think, you know, they intended it to be sort of a sort of a spoof movie and it took on a life of its own and is considered some like horror classic. And it's just a really fun watch and something that I wanted to incorporate. Yeah. I mean, as, as problematic as it is with its gender politics, it's still a great watch. I love that movie so, so much. It just didn't quite make my top 10. And with that being said, my number 10 is opera. From 1987, directed by Dario Argento. So have you seen Opera? No, I haven't. Opera's really good, you know. But it's on a lot of the top tens that I've seen. Really? Around the, around the night. Uh, yeah. Good. I love Opera. So is uh, Deep Red. Deep Red is also good, you know, but it's, I, I just like this one a lot more, right? It's uh, probably because I saw it, you know, I think this was the one of the first Argento movies that I watched. I saw it before Suspiria. And um, it's crazy, right? So, I mean, there's there's a really good kill setup in this. Like, the, the killer goes to the final girl and he makes her watch 
the deaths of these people that are that are close to her by putting these pins in her eyelids to where if she were to close her eyes at any point those pins would go just right through them and i mean it's it's violent it's gory and has an amazing premise and it also stars a uh very young and a very cute william mcnamara who if you don't remember is peter Curtin from copycat so oh yeah it's um and he's it's super young so i mean like 1987 oh, wow. so but it's, this was a this is a really good movie i really encourage if you haven't seen it go watch it it's different from a lot of argento but um that doesn't make it bad okay uh, my number nine movie is Silent Night, Deadly Night from 1984. And uh, this was directed by Charles E. Sellier Jr. I think I've talked about this before on another top ten. I just don't know which one. And we also kind of mentioned it when we talked about Black Christmas. Yes, you're right. And Because Silent Night, Evil Night. And I think we talked about it last Christmas when we did our episode with the guys from Cocktail Party Massacre. Right? Yeah. Maybe briefly. So... This is something that I've seen so many times, but I, I always go back to it. Like, there's almost really nothing special to it. it was, it's kind of like one of those movies that were coming in the whole row of slashers that came out in the 80s. This one's special because, I, A, I like holiday horror movies, and B, um, I was sort of drawn to this when I was doing, you know, as a young horror movie fan, you always find out the ones that people thought were like the worst right and th- those are the ones that you want to watch the most and this movie has so much history to it so like this is uh one of the movies that cisco and ebert really like ripped a new one for when they did <laughs> a a review of and they just had so many horrible things to say about it and i know that people were protesting this movie right after its release and it was just something that i felt i needed to see when i was younger and I mean, as a horror movie, it's it's great. As a slasher, it's wonderful, you know. Um, not to mention the guy that's in it, Robert Brian Wilson, is so incredibly hot. And for a young gay horror fan, I just just fell in love with this movie, and I've seen it so many times. I almost watch it every year for Christmas, and there have been several years mm. that I didn't. But it's always I haven't there. seen it either. You need to watch this one. It's so good. <laughs> You'll probably hate it, though. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't often hate them. No. Uh, number eight on my list is The Texas Chainsaw Massacre from 1974, directed by Toby Hooper. Um, I don't think that you can have a top ten list of slasher movies and not include this somewhere, right? Um, or at least mention it, yeah. It's, um, I mean, it came out the same year as Black Christmas, so if you're going to have a debate as to what started like the slasher subgenre, I think that this has to be included in the discussion. They're two very different movies, right? I, when you think of like a classic slasher movie, I don't really think of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. There's not a whole lot of no. POV stuff involved, right? But um, if you're looking at like rules of a slasher and... I, I looked up an article on Pace.com, and they were sort of talking about, like, what a slasher movie is, right? And so they had this whole list of rules, like, um, a, a slasher movie has to have a human killer, and a slasher movie has to have a body count. And then I think they said something like, home invasion movies are not necessarily slasher movies. And I was just like, well, that's not a very incorporative list of what a slasher movie is, but... I mean, this one certainly has a body count, 
famously, like we've talked about in this podcast before, like it's not near as violent or gruesome as people remember it to be. Yeah. Uh, but it's still shocking and, and very, very scary. And I think through the test of time, it's it stayed terrifying. It stayed very scary. And I had to have it on my list. So number seven on my list is The Final Girls from 2016, directed by Todd Strauss-Schulson. And damn, this movie just gives me all the feels, right? <laughs> Anytime I talk about this movie in a list or for whatever reason, that's, that's always what I say is that I watch this movie and I'm, I'm scared, I'm sad, I laugh. Like, it's just everything rolled into one. Chris has talked about, like, you know, the meta concepts of Scream. And I think this sort of like continues it on, right? In a very real way. Right. In a very real, but also a very cinematic way. It was like almost the next step of meta from Scream. Like, we're talking about the rules of being in a slasher and surviving them if you're not in a slasher. But this is like taking the rules that we learned in Scream and surviving them if you're actually put into a slasher movie. Yeah. So it's like meta on top of meta on top of meta, right? And I mean, I think that the acting in this is fantastic. I cry every single time that I watch it. I just love it. And I know you've seen this movie. Yeah. Didn't we watch it for the first time together? No, I had seen it before, but we watched it when we were recording with Scream Queens, right? Yeah. That, yeah. So um, I think that was like my second or third time to see the movie. And I've seen it a couple times since then. So that means like twice in the last year. But this is slowly growing on my list of like favorite horror movies. And I just love the the shit out of it. You also enjoyed it, didn't you? Yeah, I did. We talked about it a bunch. Yeah. What's your number six? So my number six is Cruising from 1980, directed by William Friedkin. Which to me is uh, like gay horror at its finest, really. Um... We did an episode on this back in June of 2018, so go and listen to that for sure to get all of our thoughts, but... You mean 2019, right? Oh shit, you're right. (laughs) I don't even know what fucking year it is. Like Chris said during his history, um, this is a... I mean, it's... I consider this a slasher movie. Do you? Yes. So, I mean, I, I I think it has a lot of the same beats as a slasher, as the same feel as a slasher movie. Yeah, and that's what we're going by is kind of a feeling, not not just a feeling, but also kind of the formula. And because it can disguise itself, like in this case, it's like a crime or procedural or something, right? Versus like it follows. It was is not an obvious slasher, but all of the. You know, all of the signs are there, right? So we're going to include those, you know, these these films that are very good that you might not consider at first glance a slasher. And I mean, like, it, it has it has a high body count, right? It has a, a villain that, I mean, like, if we look at things like Psycho or Black Christmas, right, where you really don't really see the character's, the, the, the villain's face, right? Halloween, you do. You know, you see you see Michael Myers throughout the entire movie. And Cruising is no different. You see the killer. He just always has those glasses on, which acts as, acts as sort of a mask, right? And I, I don't know. I just, I really think that this movie is as close to a slasher as you could possibly get, but still be considered like a crime thriller. I don't know. I just, I like this movie a lot. And I know that we go at length talking about it in that episode. And I think that everyone should go check that one out. Agreed. 
So halfway through, my number five is something that I I wanted to put on this list, but really struggled with because, I mean, there are often times that I don't think it's an actual slasher movie for its supernatural elements. And that is A Nightmare on Elm Street from 1984. Yeah, I, I would definitely push back on that and say, you know, you've got that, you know, element where there's the stalking and then there's the killing and the stalking and the killing and all of that's there you've got the bladed instrument the guy was human is human yeah just you know a dead one and you know it's just a new version you know and it just evolved and uh you know i would definitely say this is very squarely a slasher and for all those reasons you just mentioned this is why it's on its list right and kind of high on my list too like I just said during his uh, history, I um, am a huge fan of A Nightmare on Elm Street. It's my favorite horror franchise, mostly because when I was a kid, I watched them over and over again. And I, I think that Freddy, Freddy Krueger is a super accessible horror villain. I think a lot of people get a lot of enjoyment out of watching his movies. And I mean, like watching him kill people, you know, as, no matter how that sounds, right? And that's what makes him a slasher villain and makes this movie a slasher movie. Well, it's actually just interesting that you mentioned that in that way, right? Because I was looking into things that went back further in the 30s, you know, and part of it, uh, you know, at least part of the scholarship on it mentions, like, as far back as Roman times when you'd pet, you know, one super powerful dude against a bunch of like peasants and watch him kill everyone in the arena. (laughs) Right. And so this is, you know, there is an entertainment to it as, as much as we don't want to talk about it, as much as we don't want to explore those dark recesses of our own minds and why we find that entertaining. And, you know, I think what you're going to see in psychology is, is kind of the same principle as the roller coaster, right? It's getting that closeness to death without, and there's a rush there, right? And so that's just part of the experience of, of horror in general, you know, extreme practice of empathy, whether you get, you know, a more natural empathetic reaction from it, or even just the, the rush of survival from it. You know, it's just a, it's an interesting conversation in the background, but it does go back that far, thousands and thousands of years. And so, you know, A Nightmare on Elm Street is a, is one of those perfect examples of that. I have to agree with everything you just said, too. I think that's, I mean, as a general basis for watching and liking horror movies, I think that that plays a huge part into it, too. Not even just like the idea of your own mortality, but like the idea that you are outlasting somebody else, so like someone outside of you, another, right? And I mean, A Nightmare on Elm Street has that in spades. It was a complete game changer for the horror genre, in my opinion. It created a long-lasting, very popular villain. Um, it sort of like made people root for the villain in ways that they didn't do before. And I, it just has to have a, a long-lasting place, not only in like horror canon, but in slasher. Because at the end of the day, he's a slasher villain. This is a slasher movie. And, you know, adding supernatural elements to that particular formula has proved to have a long lasting and very effective like legacy. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. And, you know, it's almost just it's on my list just because each one has to be iconic in the way it kind of either evolves, mutates or in this case ups the ante right and so they're taking these this concept and they're like okay how can we change this in such a way that the 
you know, that is even more visceral. It's like, okay, what if they can't hide? What if they can't escape? What if there is no escape? There is no hiding. That's Nightmare on Elm Street. What would our villain have to be or look like, you know, in order to make that happen? And Freddy was born out of that. And from that, I mean, I would say that this is probably one of the most popular, if not the most popular horror franchise ever. I think that people who don't like horror movies gravitate or at least know some things about A Nightmare on Elm Street. And I think that's incredible. My number four movie is something that I've had to apologize a lot for in my life. And I don't, I mean, I don't know why I have to apologize. You should never apologize for movies that you like, but a lot of you feel like you have to apologize. ah, A lot of people shit on this like all the time and they'll tell me exactly why they don't like it or how much they hate it and blah, blah, blah. Well, tell us, what are you waiting for, huh? (laughs) What are you waiting for? (laughs) It's I know what you did last summer (laughs) from 1997. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> thank you jennifer love that no was, problem that was almost a perfect perfect imitation um so i have to stop apologizing for why i like this movie because it's a good movie i mean as far as slashers go it's very formulaic but like post scream 90s i think this is a one of the best examples of what we got from that Every time I watch this movie, I have a good time, you know, and let's not forget Sarah Michelle Gellar is all up in it, you know, like sort of, well, this is like in the start of Buffy, right? It's not pre-Buffy, but it's before Buffy got like super, super big. And I just, I love this movie so much. I love the, I love the, the, the villain, the murderer, the, the, the fisherman is iconically there. He's great. I love the hook. The cast is good. It's like pure 90s bliss to me. The soundtrack is fantastic. And I mean, I can remember when I saw this in the theater with my friends who didn't like horror movies and even they liked it, right? We walked out of that theater into the parking lot screaming, what are you waiting for, huh? And shit like that. I mean, it's just like, it's so fun and so memorable to me. And I, so memorable to me. And I just, I, I can't not put this on the list and it had to be really high and close to one in fact i was gonna put it even higher than number four but my choices that come after this you know i sort of had to put them there just because of what they are and um and how many times i have seen them because these movies i've seen more than i know what you did last summer starting with number three which is halloween 1978 directed by john carpenter okay so I think this movie is a huge part of mainstream horror. I, I don't think that horror would be as popular or as profitable as it is today if we didn't have Halloween. Yeah, it's the little engine that could. This is an indie film that just blew the fuck up. Yes. I mean, slasher or otherwise, this movie is like the epitome of, of what we consider to be mainstream or profitable horror, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I think Michael Myers is a great murderer, great villain. I'm not so sure that the franchise itself got better over time, you know, as well. I mean, I can't say as opposed to other franchises, because I think we're all in agreement that sometimes franchises go a little bit too long. But I I think that uh, Halloween really gave rise to everything that we talk about when we talk about slashers, things like a final girl. Right. Yeah. Or even the term scream queen. Right. And I just I, I think that, you know, everything that we've talked about on this list so far, everything from, you know, Chris's history top 10 uh, 
owes a lot to to Halloween. I'm a little surprised that Halloween and A Nightmare on Elm Street aren't higher on your list. It's going to be interesting to see what is your number two and what is your number one. So number two is Black Christmas from 1974. Oh, of course, yeah. And I, I chose this to be number two over Halloween just because I think it's a better movie. And something that I like, I, I like to watch Black Christmas more than I like to watch Halloween. Well, honestly, it's a lot of things for you, right? Because it's also holiday horror yes. on top of being a slasher, on top of being a relatively small cast stuck in like a single environment, <laughs> you know? So, <laughs> My God, you just read me like a book. Um, yeah. So, I mean, he's right. You know, this, everything that comes together in this movie are things that I like to watch in a horror movie. I also like the fact that it has really good, strong characters. Um, it's got a great story. Right. And I just I think when you're talking about like what's what's a good horror movie, like like really, really good. I think this this has got to be on that particular list. Um, I think it's super inventive for its time. And I mean, it's just great. I even like the remake. God help me, you know, and I it's just a really, really, really good movie. And we covered this for our episode uh, this month. So if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to it. I'm not going to sit here and rehash everything that we talked about when we have a perfectly good, probably over an hour long episode for you to listen to. Right. And if you haven't seen Black Christmas, the holiday season's almost over. Just go ahead and watch it now. Do it. <laughs> Do it. What are you waiting for, huh? <laughs> okay, so number one on my list of my my top ten favorite slashers. I had made this list and I got down to number one and I could not decide between two movies. And what? So you, you have a tie? Yeah. So for the first Lame. time in Film Flamers <laughs> history, um, I'm going to have a, a tie for number one. because We've could... never even had a tie between our two different lists from each other. And now you've tied with yourself. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. But to be fair, though, I've chosen two very good slashers, very different from each other. And so uh, the first the first member of the tie is uh, Scream from 1996 directed by Wes Quaven. I think that is a perfect choice for a number one just because it, it seems like it is a commentary on everything that came before it and it's just so perfect in that way. And I mean, and I have to agree. I think that, I mean, if you're going to create a top 10 list, this is probably the best number one to, to choose, right? I think that it takes everything that came before it and pays so much homage to everything, right? And it, it like, it's, it's very meta. It's very on the nose. And I think that they were trying to find a way to, to reinvent a subgenre and they did it masterfully i think that it was it came at just the right perfect time too i think that this is a very 90s movie and i i don't think that if you were trying to make scream today it would have come off the same way i think that it was sort of like a lightning strikes one time kind of thing right how, how were you i would just i just want to know like what were your emotions were like walking out of the theater when you first saw that when i first saw scream i was yeah. so incredibly excited yeah like i just i mean as a horror fan for all my life 
and sort of like, and you have to remember too, in 1996, I had just turned 17. This came out in December of 96. I'd been 17 for a couple of months. I could finally get into R-rated movies without having to sneak into them. And so like, this is one of the first times that I could go see a movie with friends over a holiday break and not have to worry about being old enough to see an R-rated movie. And it was so crazily different than everything that I had ever seen in my entire life. And it had, you know, Courtney Cox in it and Nev Campbell and it was just great and Drew Barrymore died immediately right it was just it was so unexpected and so wonderful and so funny and it just really sort of defined a movie going experience for me you know and it like it really started a whole thing too I mean as far as like movie watching for me um, right after that, I think I saw like Romeo and Juliet in the theater a thousand and one times, right? And so, I mean, when I look back to to my later teenage years, uh, Scream is sort of like right at the top of the pop culture that made my life happy and made me happy as a horror fan. Does that make sense? Yes. But on the flip side, I had to think about the slasher movie that I had seen probably most, more than any horror movie the slasher movie, you know, that I had seen and loved throughout a greater chunk of my life, not just my teenage years. And that movie is Friday the 13th from 1980, directed by Sean Cunningham. As much as I love A Nightmare on Elm Street, it is my favorite franchise. My second favorite franchise is Friday the 13th. And I think we owe a lot of that to to Jason Voorhees, right? And all his, his crazy kills and... You know, um, but this original movie didn't have Jason in it, right? I mean, spoiler alert, it's his mom. And um, I think that it really, really cemented all the rules that Scream was, you know, talking about. I think that, you know, things from like not drinking or doing drugs or having sex, right? All these rules that they talk about in that movie sort of like came to fruition in A Friday the 13th. It's um, just a great movie. I think there's great kills in it. Lots of great practical effects. I mean, we've talked about Tom Savini back in Creepshow and his monster-making abilities, but I think he really shines when he's creating, like, gore effects. And this movie just has tons of it. A young Kevin Bacon. It's just a really fun movie. Um, And I go back to it all the time. And I, I love to revisit it. I love to talk about it. I like to watch all the iterations of Friday the 13th. Um, and I think that the two of these movies, Scream and that one, just sort of go hand in hand. Um, even so much as they, they reference that movie like almost immediately in Scream, right? It's one of the questions that he asks Drew Barrymore, right? Like, who's the killer in Friday the 13th? And that's, she answers it wrong and it gets her killed, you know? And so they just, you wouldn't have one without the other. I think it's a really good tie and you know I sort of hope that I never have to have a tie again in our top 10 list but this is just one that I had to do it okay well that's my top 10 list uh my top 10 favorite slashers I I I know that a lot of people out there are listening to this and they're saying well how come you didn't put you know this one on there this one's also really good right but like I've said before in my top 10s these are just like my own personal preferences I come from a very you know 
organic place when I make these lists. And these are the movies that I just enjoy for the reasons that I like to enjoy them. Right. But uh, with that being said, I reached out to people on social media for the first time before doing a top 10 list and asked people what their favorite slasher movies were. And um, a lot of people had commented. And here's just a couple of the responses that I got. At Cody Landman says he likes Sorority Row. Have you seen that? Nope. It's a remake. I've seen the original, but not the remake. Urban Legend? Yep. Yep. I like that quite a bit. Me too. You're Next, I thought was really good. Never saw it. Nope. It's good. Happy Death Day, I have not seen. So, but it's definitely on my list. Um, at Tennis Pods, the Tennis Podcast, they said they like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I know we've both seen that movie. Uh, at Frightful Fables, said Terror Train which is another Jamie Lee Curtis slasher movie. Also really good. And Lachlan from Facebook says, um, I know I've mentioned this before to you guys, but Jack Frost is one of my favorite slashers and is also a holiday horror comedy. Recommend this one for some ridiculous holiday fun. So Lachlan, I have not forgotten that you recommended Jack Frost back when we did our horror comedies episode, and it's finally made its way onto my holiday watching list. So as soon as we're through recording this, I am going to go and finally watch it. So come back to our January shooting the flames and I'll let you know exactly what I thought about it. Well, guys, this about wraps up our top tens for (laughs) slashers. I hope you enjoyed the history lesson as well as robert's ultimate favorites in the slasher genre that's right let us know what you think about this particular format for our top 10 let us know if you liked it and want us to continue doing things like it you can do that on social media at the film flamers on twitter facebook or instagram or you can email us at tiredqueens at filmflamers.com or call us at 972-666-7733 and we'll play your voicemail on the air and we'll respond to it on the air. Also head over to patreon.com slash thefilmflamers to check out all of our bonus content. We have so many bonus episodes for you to listen to, including one of the uh, Flamers flashbacks for December, which is... The Lion in Winter, one of Chris's favorite movies. So looking forward to that. I know. I can't wait to talk about it. Um, And also, you can get some of these episodes sometimes, you know, several days to several weeks early. So head over and check that out. We've recently changed some of our tier structures so you can get all that bonus content and early episodes for as little as $2. That's right. So head on over to Patreon. Check it out. Stay tuned for all of the episodes we have coming out in January. We are covering Karin Kusama's The Invitation, as well as doing a hot take on the new Grudge iteration. I know I'm super looking forward to seeing that movie and talking about it. You too. So until next time, everybody, we hope that you enjoyed all this December content and sweet dreams. dreams.